0: Okay, let's see. I have no witty banter for you today, so we will dive right in. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I promise this will not be as depressing as last week began, mostly. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can only make so many promises with Ecclesiastes. I mean, when looking at the world from the world's point of view, you know, it eh, gets a little dark on occasion, so it is what it is. Now, reminder, Solomon can't help himself. And we pointed this out as we've gone through this, that despite Solomon's ability to look at the world from the world, because Solomon has every benefit the world would give. He has wisdom. He has wealth. He has the ability to buy and sell and set up for himself. Despite all of that, the foundations are coming through. This is, again, Christian. Why I encourage you to examine who you are down at the base level, at the root. Why you don't want to be arguing with the world up here, even arguing with yourself up here. Not what was I doing, why did I do it. Establish that because if you can settle the foundations you have something to come back to, and over time, that is who you are, and that will reveal itself. This is one of the, the benefits of being in church and around fellow Christians routinely for a long period of time. You can pretend a lot of things for a while, but what's going to happen eventually? Yeah, who you are is going to come flying out eventually. Best to just be you and get it over with. Now, I tell you that because that is beginning to be shown more and more in Ecclesiastes 5. Who Solomon is, what the foundation is starting to peek through, and what it creates for us is this fascinating look at how do you see the world from a Christian and a worldly perspective? Because I know, I know in Ecclesiastes he wouldn't use the word Christian, but you're talking about someone who believes in and fears God, so that would count as you. So that is how we will look at it, and that is what we will examine as we dive in. Sound fun? Okay, here we go. Verse 1. And you know I'm going to do to you what I do to you every week. So, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Well, we got to stop right there. <laughs> One of these weeks, I'm just going to read like three verses at the very beginning and get all the way and just to see the look on your guys' faces, just to, you know, watch you pass out and faint in the aisles and go from there. But I point this out because this is what wisdom and action would look like. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, because this is an actual biblical mindset. This is what has gone on in scripture going back to the beginning. Remember when we went through Exodus, remember the details of the tabernacle and the purpose of all of those details. You wouldn't have thought, of this, but God put this in. Things like Exodus chapter 30. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall make also a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. That's not something like some weird disease. So God doesn't strike them dead or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. In the course of four verses, God told them, wash your hands, wash your feet so that you don't die twice. Do you think he was serious about that? Yeah, probably so. So what's the lesson? No coming to God with dirty feet. Put your deodorant on, people. Now, one, should you put your deodorant on? Yes, yes, you should. But do you need to put your deodorant on so you won't die? I don't think we're going to kill you if you smell bad. I can't vouch for everybody in the room, but just, you know, is that the thing? They've got to have clean tootsies when they come before the Lord. Sorry, I needed to lighten the mood a little bit. (laughs) You picture these little toes wiggling now, can't you? (laughs) That's not the point. What is the point? You should be leery of everything not just what you're doing, but how you're doing it. The condition of your heart, mind, and body before the Lord. Everything is up for evaluation. You should be guarding your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. See, This is what I mean. Solomon can't help himself, despite his willingness to look at the world from the world's point of view, to examine the pleasures of life from the perspective of what they can provide. We're five chapters in, and what is Solomon warning his reader? Hey, 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 hey. In spite of all of this, be careful out there. Pay attention to what's going on. Guard your steps, because what has wisdom accomplished in the world? What did Solomon say wisdom was in the world? What has Solomon said everything was in the world? Vanity, vanity, chasing after the wind. Well, wisdom may be useless in the world, but wisdom is not useless when it comes to God. Pay attention, guarding your steps. And by the way, not a new thing in Israel. I like to try to find like weird examples of these things, just so it's not always obvious for you. But a great example, go back to the kings. Go back to Saul. What should, be, what should be going on? We have sacrifices. We have a law. We have things that we need to uphold, right? 1 Samuel 15. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. That was Samuel to Saul. Yes, yes, you offered the sacrifice. You did it in the exact way that God commanded that the sacrifice was to be offered. But God didn't tell you to offer the sacrifice. God told you to wait. What's more important, that you get the sacrifice offered or that you do what God says? Yeah, do what God says. Don't lose don't lose the principles of the law in order to keep the letter of the law. Gee, that wouldn't be a human tendency in any aspect of life throughout history, would it at all? Gee, I can't imagine where we could possibly find examples of people who missed the forest for the trees and the New Testament Pharisees. Couldn't imagine. But by the way, before we give the Pharisees a completely bad rap, that's just humanity. I mean, every human being becomes a legalist in one exact moment. Do you know when that moment is? No, 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 no. It's not when they're born. It's when they have kids. (laughs) You will become a legalist the minute a child is placed into your house. I don't care what I said, what you... (laughs) Why? Because you don't care about the spirit of the law. You want those little destructive monsters to do what? (laughs) Follow the letter of the law, lest you die. I can't be the only one that said that to their children, could I? (laughs) They're still alive. They're fine. Don't worry. I'm not going to kill them. Their mother won't let me. You know, I'm kidding. Why do we do that, though? Because we immediately lose all concepts of grace when we are wronged. We lose all concepts of forgiveness when it is our things that are being destroyed. This is, again, Christian, why the heart has to be changed. This is the human default. When you are stressed, when you are aggravated, when you are brought to your lowest point, you will default to your basest instinct. Once again, what are your foundations if you don't believe me do me a favor tonight i want you to set an alarm when you go to bed tonight i want you to set it for like somewhere between two thirty and 3 a.m okay when it goes off i don't want you to think i just want you to get up go into your living room and walk around in the dark for a few minutes because we all know what you're going to do eventually right yeah and we all know what you're going to say the second you do it <laughs> Yeah, You're going to kick something with your foot. You're going to hurt yourself. And you're going to do what? There you go. You just found your base instinct. You just found your base nature. Evaluating who you are on a regular basis is vital. We are not as good as we think we are. We are not as accomplished as we think we are. We must rest in Christ and not us. This is part of the lesson of humanity. This is part of the warning here. For all the look and for all the... Your labors are meaningless and your wisdom is meaningless and your pleasures are meaningless. (laughs) Be careful before God. Remember who you are and where you stand and why you stand. By the way, this is not going away when you get to the New Testament. This has not gone away now. 2 John. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. You don't get to lose this. You don't get to forget this. You need to rest in the right place lest you rest nowhere at all. And I will stop Dr. Seussing you this morning before I get any worse. Come on. We must rest lest we forget and then we are at the behest of the world. All right, I'm going to stop. All right, verse 2. Hence Solomon's continuing, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Um, In other words, patience, grasshopper. You must be careful how you live and you must see yourself rightly. This is the wisdom. Proverbs 15, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fools sprouts folly. It's amazing how that works. James builds on this wisdom James 1 this you know my beloved brethren everyone must be quick to hear Slow to speak and slow to anger. My question is always how you doing? How's it working out for you? Because that's just what this you hum- what humanity desires, right? We all want to be patient and slow and think things through no We all want to do what I want to be right and I want you to know how right I am and when do I want you to know how right I am now <laughs> So that you will hear and believe and understand that I am correct in all things. The Bible says what? No, that's the wrong foundation. Because when you start flouting off from the top of your head, what's going to come out? That base nature. You must be careful. You must be wise. You must dig down to the foundations. Verse 3. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. That's such a pretty way of putting such simple ideas. You want something that's worth working for? What must you do? work for it. You want something simple, it's probably true. You want something complicated, it's probably not. This is one of those simple rules of life. I was actually just going over this in my house. Truth is always really simple, isn't it? Like when you look at your kids and go, did you eat the cookie? No. Pretty good chance you didn't eat the cookie. Then you look at the sibling, did you eat the cookie? Well, what had happened was, what just who ate the cookie? <laughs> yeah, it's second one. Second one ate the cookie. Why? Because it wasn't simple. It wasn't direct. Foolishness, the folly, the silliness of the world comes through what? Many, many, many words. The truth is simple. The things that you are working for are supposed to be simple. They are supposed to be direct. They are supposed to be obvious lived in a Christian world. If you have to look and go, yes, 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 yes. I can do this and honor Christ. If, and then you know what you probably can't do? Probably can't do that and honor Christ. Probably can't justify that because now we have the nice complicated explanation. No, 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 it's absolutely fine if we... Instead, this is the warning from Thessalonians, live simple lives, be at peace, Philippians warns you. Why? Because these are simple things that return you, what? Not to the base nature of humanity, but to the foundations as they are built by God. So let's continue to verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Keeps going. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Give Solomon credit. That's the biblical standard. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-three: When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin. It would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. Now, real quick, two things here. One, the reason why I think this is obvious to Solomon is Solomon's probably one of the last kings to actually do this. I should have looked this up beforehand, but I didn't plan on this. It's Deuteronomy 12. Read Deuteronomy. It'll do you good. The king is actually supposed to take the law and write it when he becomes king. So it's like, remember when you were in trouble in school and you have to sit in detention? I can't be the only person who sat in detention. What'd they do? they give you a dictionary and be like, here, copy that page. I want to copy that page. And then you get detention the next week and you're like, can I start in the next letter at least? I don't want to do the same words again. <laughs> do you do oh, the chalkboard, that's even worse. Then it gets on your hands and you're inhaling the dust and that's probably why we're all dying of weird things now. It's chalk dust. Those evil people made us inhale it. Anyway, why do you do this? I got in trouble once with my dad. Well, I got in trouble this one time with my dad. I better phrase it that way. That's probably more accurate. And for whatever reason, like this was one of my lesser punishments. He was like, he drug my social studies book out of my backpack and just made me start copying the entire chapter we were studying. That was an aggravating evening. You know what the worst part was? When I had to take the test on that chapter at the end of the week and I knew every answer because sitting there copying the entire chapter, I had had the whole stupid thing memorized. I couldn't get the answers wrong if I wanted to. Now, that's why the king is supposed to do that. When you become king in Israel, you're supposed to take the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and you're supposed to write it down for yourself. Why? Because when you actually take the trouble to write it down and get it right, what's gonna happen? A lot of that's going to stick in your head. I think Solomon actually did that, and that's why he's sitting here with this in his head. So let's apply this, though. This is simple, right, Christian? All you have to do is not vow anything to God, and therefore you're not on the hook. So the lesson here is don't be in debt to God. Easy, right? <laughs> See, we laugh because when you put it like that, you immediately started going, but but, but he made us, and, and he sustains us, and, and we owe him not like some of the things, but... But all of the things. So how exactly am I supposed to live without being in debt to God again? Exactly. Exactly. You are already in debt to God. You are supposed to be living in light of that. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man, he's talking about sexual immorality, sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. See, you can't live your life as if you don't owe anything to God because you owe everything to God. Again, how do I honor that? How do I ensure that my life is lived as a good offering? This is the wisdom of Scripture. This is the guarding of your steps. Think about this, Christian. Guard your steps when you go before God. That's wisdom from the Old Testament, right? When, pray, tell, are you before God again? (laughs) When should thou be guarding thy steps? If you want some King James for a Sunday morning. Yes, always. See, that's getting stuck in my head. I'm going through this sermon series when I'm at the gym in the mornings and the guy is preaching from a King James because it's from the 70s. And it, every time he drops a V and a Thou, my brain kind of twitches for a second because I have to stop and think about it because I'm so out of the habit of hearing it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is the warning of the for the Christian. Because again, Christian, when we talk about being bought with a price, what was that price again? First Peter 1. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, you know, the things you throw away, like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This is where you stand, Christian. This is who you are. Therefore, you are supposed to be examining your life. Now, Let's try to make sure we don't go heading off into that legalism ditch real quick. This will be good for us. The problem we get into is we look at the world and we look at our lives in the world and go, I have to honor God, therefore. now stop. When you go with that perspective, what ditch are you going to head into? That base nature. And when humanity tries to entertain their base nature and be a good people, what do we create? Legalism. Legalistic structures, every time, we make 27,000 rules and the minute anybody breaks one of those rules, how do we react? Ah! Something in that vein. Why? Because that's how you be holy. Stop! Christian, how now art thou holy? (laughs) How now, brown cow, right? (laughs) How are you holy? Because of what you have accomplished? No. Because of how wonderful you are? No, because of the amazing wisdom in which you live. No, because of the work that Christ has accomplished. How now do you stay holy? Because it is God that holds you. It is God that upholds you. It is God that brings you into a good kingdom. It is God that has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit, has trained, changed your heart, is transforming your mind, which is guiding the way that you think. In other words, the way you maintain this is remembering who you are, why you got there, and what that means moving forward. Not entertaining your base nature as a human in this sinful flesh, but entertaining that foundation that scripture is building in your world. Coming back to how you see this place and what that means for how you live. And guess what you're gonna find a lot of the time? ready for the best news of the day? You're going to find a lot of failure. You're going to find a lot of brokenness. You're going to think, I didn't do it, but you know what I did? I thought it. (laughs) And I meant it and I felt it. And the base nature and who you are and recognize that that is the work that christ is undoing that is the grace that is covering that sin this is who he is in your world each and every day revealing more and more day by day this is why you wake up one day and you go why am i not there yet it's been five ten fifteen you know pick a year decade walking in christ and yet Because you haven't been perfected yet. You are still warring against the sinful flesh. You are still fighting against sin and iniquity each and every day. How many times have I told you what had you best get ready to love in this world day in and day out? The fight. Because that's what we do. We war against our sin. We trust that it is God who is fighting for us. And it is God who will bring us to a good end. And in him we will be victorious. And we can rejoice. But we still rejoice in the midst of the fight. And that is part of the good news because you are still fighting. Now, Solomon continues, verse six. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness, rather fear God. Again, I ask a simple question. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. So just just keep your speech perfectly pure before God. How you doing with that? (laughs) See, when you laugh out loud is when you really tell on yourself. (laughs) James 3, right? The tongue is a fire, the very word of world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Jay, you're James. How, tell us how you really think. Every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison that was written to Christians. <laughs> that, that should actually make you feel a little bit better. James isn't writing to them being like, hey, you people, you people talking like that, stop it. He's basically telling them what? You people need Jesus. I've told you before, if you want, we, we did this when we went through the book of James. Go home, read James, it'll do you good. And remember that everywhere where James is speaking of wisdom, he's talking about the fruits of sanctification. Where is wisdom found? It is found in God. How is wisdom found? By studying who he is and what he has given to his people. Therefore, wisdom is found in scripture and the utterances of God and in the teachings that he has provided. So wisdom is synonymous with sanctification because who who else would inquire of that wisdom except people that have had their hearts and minds changed by God? The answer is no one. Therefore, every time you're reading in James and he's telling you to be wise or to live differently, he's telling you to anchor yourself upon Christ, who he is, what he has done. Solomon, by the way, is doing the same thing. How do you guard your steps? I mean, if anybody would understand how easy it is to have all the advantages of life and yet still go astray, an aged Solomon looking back on his life would not be that guy, right? Think about the advantages that Solomon had. He comes in to a peaceful, rested kingdom provided by David. When he goes to build the temple, don't forget that it's David that actually sets up all the treaties and assembles all the materials. All Solomon's got to do is find the workers. and It's like, it's like Legos. Just, David dumped the box out. Solomon's just got to put all the pieces together. Well, he's got to pay people to put all the pieces together or make them do it, depending on how the world works. I mean, he's got wisdom. He's got wealth, he has security, he has peace, he has everything. And Solomon's answer is, you know what we need to do? We need to form alliances with all these nations that we've conquered and all these nations who we're at peace with so we can maintain this peace. How now should we do it? I know, I'll marry all of their daughters. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? We, 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 we just kind of skip past the we're, we're going to trust in God phase and just, no, I'm just going to marry a few hundred women. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Guys, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> don't look at your wife. Whatever you do, don't, don't do it. I'm saving you. <laughs> Eyes straight ahead. <laughs> do not blink. Do not snort. No. <laughs> What's the problem? Well, other than violating like eight of the commandments, you know, uh, there's no real problem with that. But the baseline problem is we're no longer trusting in God. We're no longer leaning in the provision that he has given. We're now going to follow the world's course and trust in it. The guy who recognizes that it's vanity probably recognizes that it's vanity because for all of his wisdom, who he is at the core still comes flying out when you're not careful. And that's why, again, I tell you, Christian, be wary in the world. You need wisdom. That's why Solomon continues. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. We covered some of that last week. For one official watches over another official, and there are, hi- there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. Now, two things. One... You can probably find 18 different English translations of your Bible and come up with 18 different translations of this verse. I read three different commentaries, and they all translated it completely different. And those three translations were completely different from what the NASP has. It's almost as if no one has any idea what this verse means, (laughs) which I just think is hysterical because 3,000 years later, and Solomon's so smart for us that he's writing this wisdom, and we're going, um... I don't even know what the man said, much less what to tell you. So we're all guessing. So we're going to kind of just gloss over this a little bit because it has something to do with someone's benefiting from the work of the king, but we can't tell if it's the king benefiting from his own work or the people benefiting or if the king is stealing. It doesn't make sense and the the, the language is is bizarre. But go back to verse 8 real quick if we can, Sally. there we go. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight for one official watches over another official and there are higher officials over them. See, to me, that's actually the fascinating part because uh, Romans 13 talks about this. Why should you obey the authorities? Because ultimately they are subservient to who? To God. Now, always remember that the two people in the New Testament that told you to obey your government are Paul in Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter 3. Always remember this lesson of life. Who killed Paul and Peter? The government. <laughs> Which means there came a point where the government said, do this, or they said, don't do this. And the two guys that said, do what your government says, said, no, we're good. And they killed them for it. So that means there's lines. There are, there are boundaries. And Romans 13 helps draw that. What is government's job supposed to be? They're supposed to bear the sword of God in righteousness. Psalm 2 that we covered on Palm Sunday gives you another hedge for this. Kings of the earth are supposed to do what? Not cast off the fetters of God and rule their own way. They're supposed to do what? Do homage to the son who is the true ruler. In other words, they're supposed to remember that ultimately who's the highest official? God. And yet, Solomon tells you that even knowing that, When you see oppression in denial of justice, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. There's another government official somewhere who'll take care of it. (laughs) To which the answer we all say is, have you met the IRS? (laughs) You were thinking it. I just said it. That's okay. That makes me a worse person than you probably. Now, the reason I say this is fascinating is because 3,000 years ago, Solomon is recognizing that there is not justice in this world. And that despite the fact that we set up hierarchies and we put together structures and, and we're gonna put this guy in charge of this guy and he's gonna watch out for him and he's, there reaches a point where you eventually get to the top and if that guy at the top is corrupt, what happens to everybody underneath him? Everything rots from the head all the way down, which is again why, Christian, I warn you to be careful in the world and to put your trust in something higher. This is Jesus' kickoff to his public ministry in Luke 4. Goes in, and what does he read? He reads from Isaiah: The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Those are all things you want in the world, right? Those are all things you're never gonna get in the world. You can't, because you give the government some power and the authority, and what do they do? I mean, what's the line? Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Because, I mean, ugh, this, is, this is humanity in a nutshell. If you ever want to be depressed, um, go look up the, uh, the Stanford prison experiment. Like, it was so bad, they changed the way that they do psychological and sociological experiments because they're like, you can't do this to people. <laughs> You're going to kill them because they almost did. I mean, the, the punchline is what? You give people a little bit of power and authority, and what happens? They run with it. You take a little power and authority from people, and what happens? They fall away from it. And you'll see that divide move out and out and out and out and out. I mean, always remember this. This is what's always gone on throughout human history is when you see, like, go back to the 20th century. When you see the, uh, the communist slaughters that you see in uh, Russia in Southeast Asia in the 20th century, just always remember that at no point were they a majority. At no point. They just got a little bit of power and did what? Wee! And the people got a little bit of oppression and did what? Aww. Um, which, which country was it? It's like Poland or Ukraine. It's one of those countries with one of those secret police agencies. They didn't have enough secret police to rat out anybody. Like they had one for every like 10,000 people in the country. And yet, the secret police were arresting people constantly. Who was turning them in? The the neighbors were. They had families turning in, other people of the family, and the neighbors spying on each other. Because we just got you. You're now part of the in-group, and now, look, they're part of the out-group. Keep an eye on those people over there in that out-group. And what happens? That little bit of corruption becomes what? Massive amounts of corruption. This becomes the problem. This is humanity for a nutshell. This is what we've always done. This is again why, Christian, your Bible's wisdom tells you not to look to this world. Not to look to the structures of this world. Not to look to the leaders of this world. But to look higher. To look to God. To trust in Him. And to recognize that your peace, your security, and your hope cannot be found here. Because here, we too often indulge what? That base nature. That flesh and who we are. And so very often the foundations become rotted because we are rotted and we haven't ever done any work on those foundations. Christian, don't be like that. Look to who you are and, again, why you are these things matter. Verse 10. So we'll skip away from 9 again, go to 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. We covered this a little bit last week. I mean, when do you get enough? Do you ever stop and think, I've done this a few times in life and I try not to do it very often because it's depressing. Do you ever stop and think about how much money you made 20 years ago? Or how much money you made when you were in your late teens and early 20s? And be like, just think back what you could survive on. (laughs) And now go, all right, we're gonna live on that now. What happened? (laughs) it wasn't enough so we got more and what did we do when we got that more yeah remember that because verse 11 is coming along when good things increase those who consume them increase so what is the advantage to their owners except to look on see this is two parts of this one if you were um if you were a 90s kid this was your posse You know, you always see somebody get famous and get some money, and suddenly there's, like, 18 people hanging around him getting their hand out. That's part of this. There's always lottery winners will talk about this. They win the lotto, and, like, every cousin, like, nine times removed on their grandmother's side calls and be like, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? And next thing you know, they feel bad, and it's like, well, you need to help. You know, they were at your Aunt Susan's wedding, so you you know what? You just need to—I can't be the only person had a mother and a grandmother who would do that to them. (laughs) And what ends up happening is these lotto winners give out the money, and they give a little bit here, and they give a little minute, and then they look around and they go, hey, wait a minute! (laughs) It's all gone. That's one part of this. But the other part of this is that previous thing. You got a little bit more money, so what did you do? You upgraded a house, you upgraded a car, you upgraded the furniture, you spent a little bit more. And now if you lost some of that, what would happen? Can't cover it any longer. This is the vanity of trusting in your income and trusting in your wealth. This is, again, why there is a call for wisdom here. You have things like Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me.' Jesus said to him, "'Who appointed me a judge and an arbiter over you?' And he said to him, "'Beware.' Be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, This is a warning. Paul gives you the same warning in Colossians 3. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, this is when I talk about Solomon's foundations, just can't help but shining through, is... The lies of the world, the pleasures of the world, the things that the world tries to provide. When you look at them, you go, they gave me. Uh-huh. Like, have you ever done this to yourself? Have you ever look forward to like, going out for something? You're gonna, you picked out a restaurant. It's going to be a really nice meal. And then what do you do every single time? When is the meal over? Because the meal is never over when I'm full. The meal is over when? When I hate myself. <laughs> See, we spent all of this money, we ate all this wonderful food, and who actually enjoyed it at like four hours later when you're sitting at home going, oh, we can't keep eating like this? <laughs> Why do we do that? Because we can't help ourselves. You put all of this wonderful good food in front of us, and what did we do? We turned into the pigs from Animal Farm. Nah, 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 nah. This is the warning. This is the lie. And that's a little picture of what ends up happening. As we see, oh, we can have that. And we can increase a little bit more and a little bit more. And we can have a little bit nicer over here and a little bit nicer over there. And at the end of the day, what did we build? What have we accomplished? That's the warning. Verse 12. The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. <laughs> Maybe. And I'm serious about that. Depending on what? Depending on what? (laughs) Depending on what they ate. Depending on perspective. Depending on perspective. This is the warning of Proverbs, right? Give me not riches nor poverty. Give me, why? Because if I'm rich and I have so much, I'll deny you. But if I don't have enough, I'll steal and defame your law. There reaches a point where at some point I have to find contentment. That's not found outside of me. That's found Inside of me. By doing what? Evaluating who I am. What God has provided. And what I'm supposed to do with it. And how I am supposed to live. Which, by the way, probably not an accident that the first three centuries of the church was primarily dirt poor. I mean... Yes, read your New Testament. There are some rich people. There are some people that work in, like, Herod's household and some city treasurers and things like that. But for the better part of 300 years, the Christian church in the Roman Empire was borderline destitute poor. Why? Well, because what's our message? You need to forsake yourself. You need to forsake the world. You need to not trust in the things of this world. You need to repent of your sins and you need to trust upon God who will provide for you everything. Now bring that into the halls of power. That you are no good and your accomplishments are worthless. How does that work out? Like, would, do you think that message would fly in Congress? Like, you guys are all wasting your time in chasing after the wind they'd be like, yeah, but we're rich. <laughs> Which, always remember my favorite statistic. I didn't look it up recently, but the last time I looked it up, um, 88% of our congresspeople claim to be Christians. <laughs> I love that reaction. <laughs> Did you guys all just pull the same muscle at the same time? <laughs> 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 Yeah, the last time I looked at this, 88% of of Congress is Christian. So out of, what, 535 members, I did the math once, it's like 480, 490 of them are Christian. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. You're immediately thinking, all right, let's see if we can name the 40. (laughs) But just realize that there's more than 40, like, bad Congress people, ones you would probably wish weren't in Congress. So the vast majority of the ones you wish weren't there claim to be Christian. They don't vote like it. They don't act like it. They don't live like it. Why? Because they're not at the end of the day. Now, I point that out because you think that's a new occurrence in the world? No, no, not in the least. You go into the halls of power and you tell them that they are no good, that they are worthless, and that they need the help of God. And they go, Have you seen the stuff that we got? Have you seen what we can do? Kill him. I mean, (laughs) which was what most of the pagan nations actually did. Now, you go to the poor, you go to the suffering you go to the people who life is kicked in the teeth and they don't have anything, and you tell them that there is a God in heaven who brings justice and righteousness and who will provide and who cares, does that message suddenly have meaning? Does that suddenly have some value? Yes. Yes, it does. Why? Because again, how are we supposed to be living? Things like Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's always that, um, there's this video, I have not found it lately. Of course, I haven't gone digging for it lately, but when you talk about the the understanding of brokenness in humanity... I forget where it was. It might have been D.C. that they did this, but they made a video, and and they they did more when the video was over, at least they claimed to, so I'm going to take their word for it. But they um, were pretending to be homeless and were shocked at how they were treated by not the people, but by the homeless community. (laughs) (laughs) And so at the end of it, the guy who was just trying to see what was going on in the homeless community ended up, he went and just bought a pizza for this one guy that he'd been hanging out with all day and he brought him this large pizza, and he's like, hey, this this is for you. You, I know you don't have anything here. Take this. And the guy took the pizza and was thrilled. You know what he did next? Immediately went to all of his other homeless friends, and he's like, here, dude, pizza. He didn't go hide it in the corner and try to eat it all. He was like, he took a slice and then like brought it, and the dude making the video was just like, dang it, now you know what we got to go do? Got to go go buy more pizza. (laughs) And they did, by the way. But this is the thing that we forget. It is typically when we remember who we are supposed to be in this world that we are most capable of evaluating who God is in this world. Meaning, when we rest, in our, when we rest on our laurels and our accomplishments and when we look at the good things that we have, we are tempted to deny and to trust in the things that we have been given. When we see those things rightly as provisions from God, when we see ourselves as broken in this place, remember, what's our math equation? For every look at yourself, do what? Take 10 looks at Christ. So when you look at your brokenness, when you look at your fallenness, when you look at your need, that's when I look at who Christ is and what he has accomplished. And I am strengthened to live rightly in the world. Not because I'm kicking myself in the rear end every five seconds because of how bad I am, because I'm reminded that despite that, He has called me good in his kingdom. He has declared me righteous before the throne. And he has provided for me and is providing for me day by day. And the things that I long for in this world are not the things that I should be longing for because they are things of this world. It raises my vision beyond this place. It gets me from navel-gazing and looking up to the glorious kingdom that God is actually building. Hence, why Solomon can continue. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. Man, that took a twist in the middle, didn't it? So we got a guy who was successful, but kept it all. Then he did something stupid right about the time he was having a son, and now he has nothing to provide. So this doesn't sound like any other wisdom literature you would know, does it? (laughs) <laughs> Someone who had everything and then lost it all and is struggling in life. Yeah, that that's not Job in the least, is it? No, not not in the bit. Now, what was the punchline? I just realized that I had copied the wrong verse here. Oh my goodness, I am a bad person. What does it say in your bulletin right there? Does it still say Job 38? Oh, yes, oh, I'm sorry. That was what I was going to put in there, and then I realized, no, I got the wrong verse, so change that. It's supposed to be Job 1, 21. (laughs) Because what was the punchline from Job? What was the lesson that should have been learned? It was the lesson that Job actually got from the very beginning. By the way, talent right there. I got it. (laughs) Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Always marvels, amazes me that that first part never, you know, never makes it into the song. You know, we always got the he gives and takes away, but never the I was naked and now I'm not. (laughs) Can't imagine why that wasn't a good praise song. Naked we came and naked we'll go. I I know there's probably no good way to rhyme that, is there? (laughs) Now, what was the lesson from Job? That's your punchline. Job does not sin against God in all that he does. Job starts sinning against God when? When he gets bitter when he starts examining himself and what he is due and what he thinks he is owed and how he has been wronged by God. In other words, he forgot who he is versus who God is. There's a reason why Solomon reaches the same conclusion, verse 15. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he has come, or as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. See. So This is, again, a drumbeat of your Bible, because it puts you in your place. So, 1 Timothy 6, "...godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either." Psalm 49. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him, though while he lives he congratulates himself, as though men praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generations of his fathers, they will never see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Again, Psalms, tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Now, Why? Because again, Christian, perspective, how you see yourself. Not living as though you are feeding the flesh, but living to feed the foundations that you are supposed to be building in Scripture. Now, despite Solomon's wisdom, his worldliness also cannot help itself. Verse 16. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness, with great vexation, sickness, and anger. (laughs) See, this is the world's argument, though. I've worked hard. I've accomplished much. I've built these things in my life. I want to be rewarded according to my works. Everything that I have built, I want you to judge me on that. Who I am in the world. This is what the world tells you. What does the Bible remind you about your works? Isaiah 64. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And by the way, I will let you dig into the etymology of the word that we translate filthy there. I'm going to pass. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. See, The world wants its recognition and its credit for all that it has accomplished. It wants you to get in line and live the same way. You can't. Why? Luke 12. There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. And by the way, Christian, let me do my Johnny Depp run. That's good news for you. That is good news. This is that Matthew 7 passage. The same standard by which you judge the world is a standard by which you'll be judged also. You should read that and go, yes! Because what's our standard, Christian? That we are blind, and we are wretched, and we are naked, and we are in need. And that it is God who has covered us, and it is God who has declared us righteous, that we, in and of ourselves, have no goodness, that we, in and of ourselves, have no righteousness in this world, but... In Christ, we have goodness and mercy and righteousness in standing before God. Therefore, yes, judge me according to the standard. I'm guilty (laughs) because I'm broken, but he has made me whole. I am evil, but he has made me good. I'm guilty, but he has declared me righteous. That's my standard. Now, let's everybody go according to that standard. And the world immediately says what? (sighs) Because they know what? They know that they are broken. This is that Romans 1 verse. They are without excuse. They know. Remember, this is our bad equation. They know, and they know that you know that they know. That's why they're angry at you. That's why they hate you. That's why they want you to sit down and shut up. Because when you are righteous, when you are proclaiming goodness, and when you are are proclaiming mercy, you are reminding them that they have neither goodness or righteousness or mercy. That they have judgment upon them. And therefore the problem becomes what? Not my sin. The problem becomes you who keeps reminding me of my sin. If you people would just stop that, then I could have my seared conscience and be okay with it. But it's you that keeps reminding me. That's the problem. That's the lie of the world. Is they sit there and they want their credit. Christian. That's fine. It's fine. Let them have it. Let them have it. How now shall you live in this world, based upon what foundation, to what city are you traveling? I've got the kids reading Pilgrim's Progress. It's going, yeah. <laughs> It's painful, but we're getting through it slowly but surely. I've told them they can't watch the movie until they finish the book. So Connor is trying, but the reason why I always come back to that and why I always remind you of it is because it gives you such a good picture of this Christian world. And by the way, the reason why I tell you to read is because I never tell you about the second part of the book. The first part of the book is about Christian and his travel along the King's Highway to the Celestial City, about a man being saved and traveling to, to, to God, God's kingdom. The second half of the book is about Christian's wife and children following after him. And all the pitfalls that fell that Christian fell into, his family falls into exactly none of them. Because every place that he fell into a pitfall, there's a sign because they took a guide because they brought scripture and a teacher who can explain to them the truths of scripture. So every time there's a pitfall, he's like, hey, hey, don't go over that way. That's where Christian fell in and bad stuff happened to him. They're like, oh, they're like a little tour group with popcorn. Like, oh, we shouldn't go that way then. We'll keep going this way. (laughs) And and every pitfall and danger and problem that Christian fell into, his family's like, oh, that's so terrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And they just walk from beginning to end with no trouble. And, and, and they, you know, they, I'm trying to remember, but where like he has to swim and drown in the river in order to get to the city. I think they actually get a boat. And <laughs> it's, they're just like straight along, like la-di-da-di-da. Why? They brought a Bible. They listened to the wisdom. They paid attention to the people that went before them. Christian, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Again, what are those foundations as you go out into the world? Not just skipping la 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 and hopefully nothing bad will happen to you. You know, you need to actually be grounded. This is the importance of what we do and why we examine our lives. So with that said, let's finish up. Verse 18. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat. To drink, enjoy oneself in all one's labors in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. That doesn't sound like anything you've ever heard before in the Bible, does it? Now, 1 Corinthians 15. I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Isaiah 22 gives you the same idea. In that day, the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head and wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. In other words, when God's judgment came, how should Israel have reacted? They should have mourned their sin. They should have repented and called out to God. What did they say? Oh, God's going to kill us tomorrow. Let's eat. Come on. (laughs) Wrong reaction. Once again, Solomon is returning to the world's point of view. Which, by the way, Christian, nothing new under the sun. This is the world's mindset to this day. Come on. Enjoy yourself. We're here for a good time. Not a long time. (laughs) Did somebody just YOLO back there? I was going to say that next. Stop reading my mind. Which is a danger to you if you're thinking like me. So I'm just going to warn you now. I keep telling you not to be like me, kids. But yeah, this is why you have the food and the drink and the the temptations that you have. I mean, this is a joke, slightly. And I mean that slightly, but do you think it's any coincidence that about the same year, humanity got unlimited data on their phones and the ability to look at whatever image and video they wanted that since that time, phone screens have gotten bigger every single year? Do you think that's a coincidence? What are we looking at on our phones again? Yeah. <laughs> this is part of what I'm talking about when I say this is the world's perspective. Just, it's fine, it's fine. Just do, do what you want. My, this is my favorite news headline of the week. This is my favorite. This might be my favorite head, news headline of all time. Florida passes a law that says that you're not allowed to have public nudity or any simulated sexual acts in public or displays during any parades or displays or anything like that. In response, the alphabet brigade said, fine, we're not having our pride parade. So you have to put your clothes on and not try to corrupt kids. Well, we're not doing it then. What? T- t- yeah, but, 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 but how broken are we in humanity that that's the standard now? Like, that's, that's the win. Like, hey, don't show the part that the clothing is supposed to cover in public. Oh, how dare you? Who do you think we are? <laughs> that's the world standard. This is what's presented. By the way, Christian, that's not going to get better. Unless what happens? Hearts are changed. Minds are renewed, then leading to a change of life. This is why you have to be anchored to the standard you are. Which, once again, though, is why you can't just go out into the world and live however you want. You can't just go out into the world and think however you want. Because if you do, you start drifting along. And you're going to find yourself drifting where? I don't know. But it's probably not going to be where you want to be. Again, terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. Evaluate your life. You have different temptations than I do. You have different temptations from your neighbor. But you know what I know about you? You have temptations. You have things you need to evaluate. You have things you need to be be wary of. And you have things that you need to be killing day by day in your life. Recognize that we do that not through our accomplishment, but by resting in Christ. Being changed by his work. Being guided by his spirit. And knowing that as we do that, we are heading in the right direction. Verse 19, furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. See, Solomon's worldliness comes out and it can't help itself, but his biblical foundation comes out and he can't help himself. This is this is true. Deuteronomy 12. You shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your. Hand, your voted off, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock there also you and your households shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. See this is why I. this is why well there's a couple of reasons, but this is one of the main reasons why I will never be like put the suit on and be the austere preacher man before you and tell you the Lord has said you know I can't This is supposed to be fun, and I'm serious about that. You're supposed to actually enjoy Christian living. You know that, right? This is my 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 favorite reminder: is we've got the word in our modern English. We call you're a Puritan, you Puritans. You know, and when I say Puritan, what do you picture? You picture the Quaker Oats guy with the hat and the buckle, and you know, and they stand in the corner, and you know, no no singing and dancing and. You know, no, you know, no foul language or anything like that. And they're they're very. Always remember this. Always, like all the Puritans had like 18 kids each, okay? Like every last one of them. Now I remind you of that because you're mostly all adults in here, and you know where the children come from. They were married. They enjoyed marriage. You're supposed to. That's how it works. Christian, where you are in life, you are supposed to live your life unto the glory of God in joy. In joy, however that may be that you experience. You're supposed to enjoy the provisions of God. You're supposed supposed to enjoy the blessings of God. You're not supposed to come here and feel like I beat you over the head with the Bible. It's not be like, all right, everybody, sit down, let's go. I mean, stuff's falling off of it now. Oh my goodness. Hang on, I gotta put put my weaponry back together. There we go. (laughs) It's not supposed to be a beating. It's supposed to be joyous and joyful. And it's supposed to be joyous and joyful, believe it or not, out there. This is the gift of God. That you live in the world, built upon his foundations, resting in his world, in the joy of all that he has done for you. And you can because in spite of their darkness, in spite of the iniquity, in spite of the insanity, you have Christ. (sighs) What more could you want? This is, this is this great summation of this whole section. Guard your steps, because you have God. Live carefully, because you have God. Do not long for the things of the world, because you have God. Verse 20, for he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I told you patience earlier, I'll tell you focus now. This is, the, uh, this is the living of Hebrews 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. By the way, if you never knew, the cloud of witnesses is all those people in chapter 11. There you go. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's your gospel message. We have the witnesses of what God has accomplished. We have been transformed and we are being sanctified, killing our sin. We are walking through this world being transformed by God. How? Not by looking at the world, not by longing for the things of the world and trusting in anything it has provided, but by focusing on Christ and knowing that we have His kingdom. That is where we rest, and that is where we rejoice. And we are supposed to actually rejoice. So, be happy, <laughs> whether you like it or not. I'm always reminded we uh, we um, we used to have the senior group at our home church, and. They would. The, we had a newsletter that went out every month and they would give a little write-up of all the goings-on of the senior group each month and it always read like a hostage letter. <laughs> I don't know why, but the lady who wrote it up did it like, she wrote it in paragraph form, but it was basically bullet points. (laughs) So it was like person A spoke and then such and such offered the prayer. And then we did this and we played bingo in every single month it ended with. And we were served uh, delicious refreshments and fun was had by all. But it reads, I get it read like a hostage letter. So it got to the point where I would read it to our secretary so she could type it in just for fun and be like, and we were served delicious refreshments and fun was had by all. (laughs) Because it couldn't, and she's like, you've got to stop. I can't, I can't type this. And it's like, but it does. That's not joy. That was like, and fun was had by all. Enjoy yourself. We played bingo. (laughs) (laughs) It's not supposed to be a beating. It's not supposed to be drudgery. If it is, you've fallen into the legalism ditch. If you have no foundation, you've fallen into the libertine ditch. What do you do? You rest in Christ. You know that for that, he has died on both sides of that, and he has strengthened you and declared you righteous in his kingdom. Therefore, you can rejoice rightly in what he has provided, and who he is, and who he is making you to be. Because again, you love the fight. Therefore, you love the battles that you are having because they are the transforming work of Christ day by day. You loved who you were. You love who you are. You love who you will be because they are who Christ has you at those moments. That is who he is working in and what he is accomplishing. Christian, remember that because that's where your focus is supposed to be. Let's pray.